The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. So, Dr. Criven, give it to me in a nutshell. Well, the premise is quite simple. Um, take something designed by nature and reprogram it to make it work for the body rather than against it. You're talking about a virus? Indeed, yes, in this case, the measles um, virus, which has been engineered at a genetic level to be helpful rather than harmful. Um, and I, I find the best way to describe it is if you, can, if you can imagine your body as a highway and you picture the virus as a very fast car um, being driven by a very bad man, imagine the damage that that car could cause. Mm -hmm. but then if you replace that man with a cop, the picture changes and that's essentially what we've done. How many people have you treated so far? Well, we've had 10,009 um, clinical trials in humans so far. And how many are cancer-free? 10,009. So you have actually cured cancer? Yes, yes. Emerging virus, Dr. Neville will be taking a closer look at the ongoing mutations of Dr. Alice Crippen's once-hailed miracle cure for cancer. So far, almost 5,000 patients treated with her retrofitted virus had begun exhibiting symptoms resembling the early onset of rabies. 25 patients have already died. Dr. Neville has ordered local hospitals to stockpile antiviral drugs and to begin preliminary quarantine protocol. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, March 11th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. It is my understanding that the genetic modification technology being falsely called a vaccine for COVID-19 and administered as such to a largely unknowing public was originally developed for the purpose of finding some kind of cure for cancer, but subsequent animal testing and other testing proved disastrous. And that frightening fictional scenario we heard in our opener today from the movie I Am Legend is becoming an accurate analogy of the real-life scenario that we could be seeing develop right before our own eyes. The heightened frenzy surrounding an urgency to get vaccinated is truly disturbing, and it's very concerning to me, and for more reasons than the extreme risks that I think come with getting the shots. My real concern is being generated because the campaign to vaccinate, quote-unquote, is being accompanied by something that can be considered no less than outright terrorism, a purposeful and intentional effort to create fear, anxiety, and downright mental illness. And that's a most dangerous sign when your government is doing that instead of working to do the reverse. And I have to confess, you know, on a personal level, I haven't really been all that affected by all of this COVID-19 political pandemic stuff, certainly not as much as most of the people around me. But you know, when I leave my world of peaceful reality and step out of that sphere, it's a world of pandemic and unreality out there. Thanks to continued state propaganda and mandates, more and more of the other tenants in my apartment building, for example, are wearing masks. And when I pass them in the halls, they avoid me like, like you know, the plague or something. <laughs> and it's actually very funny, but 
also quite tragic. And the more of them I see, the more I begin to realize that these folks are truly scared sick. And it terrifies me to realize that their fear has all been generated by a story, a narrative. A narrative that doesn't coincide with the facts of reality. Something even acknowledged by the storytellers themselves. These scared sick folks are suffering from a knowledge of things that just ain't so. And the only cure for that is to get injected with some knowledge that actually reflects reality. And if there's a pandemic to be cured, it's this unnecessary and unjustified mindset of terror about a virus. So while our governments continue to prescribe fear as their response to a pretended viral pandemic, we've got our own prescription on how to respond to this pandemic, which we shall offer right after this reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right social media links and our archived broadcasts. And as always, your financial support is appreciated and is exactly what makes this show possible. Now, if you haven't noticed yet, we're living in a dystopian unreality. Every day for the past year, I have been witness to the continued fake propaganda being spewed by the fake news media about a fake pandemic designed to scare people into getting a fake vaccine. Anybody notice the common theme there? (laughs) Apparently, though, a lot of people still don't have a clue, even as the clues stare them in the face, like this example here from a letter to the editor written to the London Free Press on March 4th, 2021 by David D. And the heading of the letter reads, Can't Book Vaccine. And I quote, I turned 80 last week, so Wednesday I tried to book an appointment for a vaccination. Appointments were totally booked for the next two weeks. I was told to try again, but have little faith that I'll be able to book an appointment for at least a month. I did fill out the consent form, which was drawn up by a medical expert and filled with unintelligible medical jargon. Whatever happened to plain English? It seems time for a serious look and revision of the booking process. End quote. And that was by David B. of London, Ontario. Now, if I was David, I'd be counting my blessings right about now, and hopefully by the time the backlog ends, he might be a bit more informed about what he so eagerly consented to. If the consent form is unintelligible, then you're signing it without understanding what you are signing, David. And what you signed was not drafted by a medical expert, but by a legal expert. And the unintelligible medical jargon, quote-unquote, was really unintelligible legal jargon. What happened to plain English? Well, plain English is still very much with us, but the people who don't use it don't want you to understand what they are telling you. But don't worry, they'll explain it to you very thoroughly should you happen to suffer any severe reactions to their shots. For example, they'll explain to you that, well, they're not liable for any damage caused by their products since our governments have granted them exemption from such liability and since you voluntarily took the risks involved. They'll explain to you that you didn't consent to a vaccine shot, but volunteered to become part of an experiment involving genetic modification technology. It's a technology completely unrelated to COVID or viruses per se. 
In fact, I have to confess that when it comes to actual medical jargon, they've been pretty clear in telling everyone that the shots will not protect anyone from catching or spreading any viruses, nor will it prevent the recipient of the shot from getting any particular viral disease. And of course, getting vaccinated will not end the lockdowns or mandated rules of insanity or change anything in particular, except make things worse. Because now they're talking about perpetual vaccinations being tracked by perpetual tracking and having to carry vaccination passports perpetually to be able to get around. This is a nightmare. This is not a solution to a problem. Even after citing so many of the clues that should have alerted him to danger, letter writer David's concluding concern is a, quote, revision of the booking process, end quote. Well, it begs the question, why are there so many people who are so excited about getting their shots as soon as possible? Is it because they want to stop fearing the virus or because they want to stop suffering the rigors of having to live in a masked pandemic dystopia? And speaking of masks... Check out the reaction of these people in a Hamilton, Ontario, Canadian tire store that refuses to honor the legal medical exemptions regarding masks. Taken from the coverage provided by Dan Dix on his March 6th Press for Truth video, on this side of our upcoming bumper we can hear what happened to home hardware shopper Chris Horlocker on his recent visit to that establishment. And on the return side of the bumper, we'll hear some very interesting background information about the whole incident as Dan Dix interviews Chris about the experience. Just asking a simple question, who told you you could adopt a policy like Just that? Wait, I'll have my manager talk to you. Okay, that's all I'm asking. Probably home hardware. Okay, but who at home hardware? Why don't you step out of the way? Like, look at how many people you're blocking. I'm not in the way. You just want to sit here and just harass people. I'm just asking questions. Why do you need to ask the questions? Because I'm affected by this policy. So go. You are going to re- you are going to refuse service. Call the city service. of Hamilton. Call the city no. of Hamilton. Okay. Don't put it on them. Why not? Are you recording me? I absolutely am. Yeah, that's great. Because you guys have gotten very irate for over a very simple question. Why do you need to ask questions? You don't think what's going on here raises any kinds no, of questions? No, I don't. I don't. Is... I'm in a home hardware. I'm buying a garbage can. Okay. What and are you buying? You have to wear a mask to go anywhere? You don't find that odd? No, I don't. I just put my mask on. I stay within six feet of people. That's all I do. Just... But why? Because I just want to buy a garbage can. They just want to work. Yeah, I'm wearing a mask. I'm social distancing. I'm just asking the question, why? Why does he need to answer? Why does she need to answer your questions? Because you I, have, I don't you know why. You all seem very confident that you know why. Oh, I, I, but I nobody can tell me why. I'm not, what am I, confident? I'm just a customer. I'm just tired of seeing people that are working being harassed by people like you. I'm people tired like of it. who? Like you. What just do you mean, ask, like me? Asking random questions to them, like, they're following policies. If you have a question... I know, I have a question about the policy. And they don't want to answer it. They gave you the answer, it just wasn't satisfying to you. No, 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 I, they haven't given me We're an answer. Wear a mask because you're told to. There, that's your answer. Right, but that's not how the world works. Oh, uh, yes, it is. 
Yeah, says, if you want to come according into a to store, who? if you want to come into a store, you follow their guidelines and policies. You don't want to follow them, don't come into the store. The store needs to follow the bylaw. No, just not happy that he has to wear a mask while he's in here. I'm, I'm just asking, I'm just asking who to told them. You can go inside where you don't have to wear a mask, no. That's, that's fine. But, but I'm being told, I'm being told that you guys are allowed to do anything you want because you're a private store. She said that you guys were exempt from you did not have to follow the bylaw. She said that. Any policy. So you're excluding people based on their medical conditions. Could you exclude people for other things that are out of their control? Like I understand you don't like these questions. You're uncomfortable by these questions. I'm asking you to leave. But it's not because of me. I'm asking you to leave. Okay, I can. So for the okay. record, you believe you do not have to follow the bylaw. Sorry. I know Sorry. and I don't. In this instance, I know we don't have to. Maybe just start us off from the beginning. Walk us through the whole thing. How did this whole event transpire for you that day? Well, I was out with my daughter, uh, who is t about 22 months old. And uh, so we're going about our day, uh, running a few errands, uh, in and out of stores. And by and large, most of the stores in, in the area are sticking to the letter of the bylaw. So in, in Hamilton, uh, the Hamilton bylaw is 20-155. And the exemptions from the mask requirement are in section four. And there are, it's an itemized list. And it's pretty much the same list of exemptions you'd find in all of the bylaws all around Southern Ontario, all across the country. Uh, they have this list of exemptions in there because the bylaws would otherwise conflict against uh, the Human Rights Code and uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So they have to be in there. Uh, Hamilton is particularly generous with their list of exemptions because the last item on the list it actually says anybody who says they're exempt is exempt. Uh, so they've given anyone cart, uh, 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 a blanket exemption who, who doesn't want to wear a mask, which is fantastic. Uh, it's one I avail myself of uh, as many times as I possibly can. But uh, when my daughter and I, we finally got to the home hardware, right out front of the store, there was a sign saying, no medical exemptions allowed. And, you know, I, I, I kind of made that same face you're making right now, like, oh, no, Who, what kind of people am I going to find in here? And so, you know. It, it, uh, in any other situation, maybe I, I might be feeling a little more, you know, let, let, let's, let, let's see what happens. But I was with my daughter. She's 22 months old. I'm not looking to get into any heated arguments with anyone. I just wanted to go in, get, get my, my little power splitter, and, and get out. And that's what I did. So I put on my mask. I go in the store, no problem. And at the checkout, uh, I asked the cashier, who crafted this policy? Who can I talk to about this policy? And 
to me, having worked in retail, you know, throughout my high school and near the university days, that's not an odd question to feel. People ask about your return policy, for example, all the time. And maybe they might even complain and want to know who they can complain to and who they can, who, who do you have in your company to talk to about your policies? This shouldn't have been a controversial question for them to get hit with, but almost immediately uh, they start calling for managers, more people come up to the front of the store. I am sort of fenced in by employees uh, between them and, and the wall and the exit of the store. And, and even a customer in the store joins in to start berating me, calling me, oh, you're just one of those people, and, and why do you have to ask questions? Just just shut up and obey. And I, I was when I saw things escal escalating the way they did and how quickly they escalated them, I knew I had to start filming because you know we're only we're barely, I think, a week or two weeks after that incident at uh, the Canadian Tire over in BC and I didn't want to be the next guy to get hauled out uh, you know with, again with my 22 month old baby right there in the stroller right next to me the the media and and you can see this in how they reported on the situation at the Canadian Tire uh, on one hand you know the the governments all over the country are saying we need to be courteous and kind to people with a medical need. Uh, we don't want to stigmatize these people who can't wear a mask. And in the city of Hamilton, even said it's vital that we do not do this. And yet, the media uh, uh, it is particularly in how they've worded the the situation in Burnaby. Uh, they they they're not doing anything to help that situation. They're actively uh, identifying, segregating uh, people who cannot comply with a mask bylaw, despite you know the vast majority of people in Canada not wanting bylaws, not wanting lockdowns. There is no scientific basis for them. There is no threat from COVID-19. It's not the COVID-19 pandemic. It's the COVID-19 psychosis. As psychosis is the only way you can explain the absolute hysteria and anger at which these women reacted with to having their paradigm questioned. Yeah. Don't know about you, but when it comes to mask mandates and social distancing, I'm getting a little Canadian tired. <laughs> that entire incident and discussion touched upon not one, but two major issues. The first being the psychosis generated in people who are confronted with the challenge of having to objectively justify a policy that affects the public. And the second being the whole issue of just how far private property ownership permits the owners of such property to impose conditions on a public to which they open their doors. 
I had intended to address that second issue on the show today, but I think it's a theme that really deserves a closer look at the bigger picture of property rights and what they actually are vis-a-vis the rights of the individual from which the right of property emanates. And we'll get into that theme on another show sometime in the near future. But for right now, it's the fear factor, that psychosis that primarily has my focus of interest. So did you catch the context of that whole incident? The staff and customers in the store were not complaining about Chris Horlocker not wearing a mask because he was wearing one throughout that whole incident. What they were complaining about was the fact that he asked about who actually implemented the mask policy in that particular Canadian tire outlet, given that it was completely different from other retail outlets in his area of Hamilton, Ontario. He just wanted some information, and they all freaked. Psychosis is but one term that comes to mind. But deeper than that is some kind of subconscious admission or acknowledgement that what everyone is doing is utterly irrational and evil. It cannot be justified based on reason. And even if someone was psychotic about catching the imaginary virus itself because of some failure to wear a mask or socially distance, you can't compare the fear of a physical threat, whether real or imagined, with the fear of hearing a person ask the question, why? Why do you need to ask questions, she kept repeating. Now think about it. Isn't this the same paranoia that we're getting from everyone, from the highest levels of government to the lowest levels of popular mainstream media? Don't you dare ask why. Don't ask questions. How dare you question climate change? How dare you question electoral integrity? How dare you question the usefulness of masks? How dare you question vaccines? How dare you question the elite? And on and on and on and on. This event we've just witnessed at Canadian Tire is no isolated psychological incident. The fear of being proven wrong or of being criticized for acting irrationally is immense, because if true, then the person who fears the questions will be held responsible for his or her actions. And about that Karen Canadian Tire customer, I fully understand how that term Karen originated as a pejorative against people who virtue signal their lack of virtue as a reaction to anyone who might disagree with them or who they think is, quote, breaking the rules, end quote. They all make good little Nazis. And an extreme example of a Karen in a historical setting would be the people in Germany who turned the Jews into Hitler's Nazis, or who even turned on their own parents if they heard them say anything against the Third Reich. All tyrannies depend on their Karens. Which brings us to the next popular excuse for tyranny, vaccines. And talk about a weird coincidence when I ran into this item. On March 2nd, on her own episode of The Amazing Polly, Polly St. George shared a 2014 article written by Lawrence Solomon on the subject of flu vaccines. Coincidentally, at about that same time, in 2014, I had personally contacted Solomon, with whom I was on a first-name basis, to appear as a guest on Just Right for the third time. Found the email just the other day, and here it is, quote, Hello, Larry. I have, as always, been greatly enjoying your regular columns in the pages of the National Post and find it difficult to believe that it's already been two and a half years since we last had you on the show. I write to invite you to join us on our next live broadcast of Just Right this Thursday, May 15, in the 11 to noon hour period to discuss the possibilities you raised in your April 4th, 14 National Post column, Reversing Renewables, end quote. 
But here's a response I got from Solomon. Hello, Bob. Thanks for the invitation, but I've cut back on my media appearances. I pretty well limit myself to discussing vaccines these days. If you ever want to do a show on that subject, do let me know, end quote. And with that, Robert Vaughn and I did indeed intend to get together with Larry to discuss that issue, but before that was able to happen, we were unceremoniously suspended from CHRW Radio, and, well, you know, for the usual reasons that anybody gets deplatformed these days. We were just a bit ahead of our time. But in the interim, Robert Vaughn forwarded a link to my attention with the note, When we have Lawrence Solomon on, here's some great clip material. And the link he provided linked to a clip from the Jimmy Kimmel Live Show, broadcast on February 27, 2015, and it was called A Message for the Anti-Vaccine Movement, which even though quite humorous, goes a long way towards explaining the ingrained mindset that most people have about vaccines. So, on the return side of our next bumper break, we'll be hearing Pauly St. George read Solomon's commentary on flu death statistics as they were being manipulated back in 2014. While on this side of the bumper, here's Jimmy Kimmel insulting anyone who questions vaccines while at the same time insisting that they should just listen to the authorities. Like, say, doctors who always know better than people who aren't doctors. I, I feel like we're headed in the wrong direction. I want to get serious for a minute, if I could, because I've been hearing a lot of talk lately, and I don't know if this is more prevalent in uh, L.A. than other places, but I feel like it probably is, but there's a small but still sizable group of people who are choosing not to vaccinate their children. Here in L.A., there are schools in which 20% of the students aren't vaccinated because uh, parents here are more scared of gluten than they are of smallpox. <laughs> and uh, as a result... We now have measles again. We've got measles. I want to say something about it. I know if you're one of these anti-vaccine people, you probably aren't going to take medical advice from a talk show host, and I don't expect you to. I wouldn't either. But I would expect you to take medical advice from almost every doctor in the world. <laughs> See, the thing about doctors is they didn't learn about the human body from their friend's Facebook page. They went to medical school where they studied all sorts of amazing things like how to magically prevent children from contracting horrible diseases by giving them a uh, little shot. You know those little shots of Botox? Which is botulism, by the way. You get in your face to make your head look smooth and your eyes look crazy? A little shot like that and poof, polio is gone. But some people do not buy into that because they did a Google search and Jenny McCarthy popped up and she had clothes on so they listened to what she had to say and decided not to vaccinate their kids. Now, and by the way, I want to say, this would all be okay if your kids were the only ones affected. It, they're your kids, but they're not because unvaccinated kids put all children in danger, especially babies who are too young to get the vaccination shot. But of course, that's according to doctors. So, you know, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. Now, some people are saying kids who aren't vaccinated shouldn't be allowed to go to school or daycare or uh, go to public places. But I don't. here's how I think it should go. If you are one of those people who knows more than doctors, that's fine. No vaccinations. But you're not allowed to go to the doctor anymore. Okay? <laughs> Why would you even want to go to a doctor who knows less than you do? So if you fall and you cut your head open, you will not be admitted to the emergency room. Stay at home, find that sewing kit you stole from the Marriott, and stitch it up yourself, Doc. The doctor will see you never. 
Oh, by the way, you should also let your kids smoke. Why wouldn't you? The only people who say not to are doctors, and they don't know. So we invited some real doctors to address this. I am a doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. And I believe in vaccinations. And I believe in vaccinations. If you don't vaccinate your kids, it can endanger their lives. The potential downsides of vaccinations are almost non-existent. The cumulative scientific and medical communities are in absolute full agreement that there is basically no reason not to vaccinate your kids. No reason. Which is why I cannot believe we have to make this PSA. I thought we settled this in the 50s. Hey, remember that time you got polio? No, you don't, because your parents got you vaccinated. I did four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and three years of pediatric residency. I had to go to school for eight years. I'm pretty sure I know what I'm talking about. But you people still won't listen. Now I have to use my only day off to talk to you idiots about vaccines? I want to finish watching Breaking Bad. I'm only halfway through the second season. But instead, I've got to come here because you listen to some moron who read a forwarded email. Perfect. All these people had to set up cameras, lights, sound equipment, so that I could tell you to do something we've been doing for a century. Look at all these people. This is stupid. Get your kids vaccinated. Get your kids vaccinated. Get your kids vaccinated. Get your kids vaccinated or lose my number. Get your kids vaccinated, or these doctors may never find out that Walt dies at the end of Breaking Bad. Are you kidding me, dude? Paid for by professionals who know what the hell they're talking about. This article from the Huffington Post, which was from 2014, by Lawrence Solomon. Don't believe everything you read about flu deaths. The CDC's decision to play up flu deaths dates back a decade when it realized the public wasn't following its advice on the flu vaccine. During the 2003 flu season, the manufacturers were telling us that they weren't receiving a lot of orders for vaccines, says Dr. Glenn Novak, Associate Director for Communications at CDC's National Immunization Program. According to the National Vital Statistics System in the U.S., for example, annual flu deaths in 2010 amounted to just 500 per year. Now, just stop for a second. In 2010, according to the National Vital Statistics System of the U.S., flu deaths amounted to only 500 per year. 500. See that number? Fewer deaths than from ulcers, which were 2,977, hernias, which were 1,832, and pregnancy and childbirth, which were at 825. It was a far cry from the big killers, such as heart disease, which was almost 600,000, and cancers, also pushing 600,000. The story is similar in Canada, where unlikely killers likewise dwarf statistics Canada's count of flu deaths. So they go on. Even that 500 figure for the U.S. could be too high, according to analysis in authoritative journals such as the American Journal of Public Health and the British Medical Journal. 
Only about 15 to 20 percent of people who come down with flu-like symptoms have the influenza virus. The other 80 to 85 percent actually caught rhinovirus or other germs that are indistinguishable from the true flu without laboratory tests, which are rarely done. In 2001, a year in which death certificates listed 257 Americans as having died of flu, only 18 were positively identified as true flus. The other 239 were simply assumed to be flus, and most likely had few true flus among them. Wow, the statistics are really telling an interesting story, and. Of course, as we're watching this year, that's a main focus of what's going on with this flu virus. Are the statistics correct? And then they build models off the statistics. Don't forget. So if the statistics are wrong, then the models are wrong. Let's continue reading. U.S. data on influenza deaths are a mess, states a 2005 article in the British Medical Journal entitled "Are U.S. Flu Deaths Figures More PR Than Science?" This article takes issue with the 36,000 flu death figure commonly claimed, and with describing influenza/pneumonia as the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S. But why are flu and pneumonia bundled together? The article asks. Is the relationship so strong or unique to warrant characterizing them as a single cause of death? The article's answer is no. Most pneumonia deaths are unrelated to influenza. Pneumonia, according to the Lung Association, has more than 30 different causes, influenza being but one of them. The CDC itself acknowledges the slim relationship, saying only a small portion of deaths, only 8.5 percent of all pneumonia and influenza deaths, are influenza-related. Because death certificates belie claims of numerous flu deaths, CDC enlisted computer models to arrive at its 36,000 flu death estimate. But even here, it needed to bend conventional medical medical terminology to arrive at compelling death numbers. Cause of death statistics are based solely on the underlying cause of death. Internationally defined as quote the disease or injury which initiated the train of events leading directly to death, explains the National Center for Health Statistics. Because the flu was rarely quote an underlying cause of death, the CDC created the sound-alike term, influenza-associated death. The CDC was not getting enough death certificates that said flu was the cause of death. So they made up a term, more or less, influenza-associated death, which then would be put on the death certificates or added to as in addition to the other cause of death, which allowed them to go out to the public and say there were all these deaths from influenza-related death. You see what they're doing. Using this new loose definition, CDC's computer models could tally people who died of a heart ailment or other causes after having the flu. The CDC's decision to play up flu deaths dates back a decade, when it realized the public wasn't following its advice on the flu vaccine. Well, here this should bust your illusion of what the CDC is really all about. The CDC is the Center for Disease Control. Glenn Novak, who worked there. Told this reporter 
that the manufacturers of the flu vaccine were telling us that they weren't receiving a lot of orders for it. And so the CDC stepped in and helped them out. The CDC stepped in and helped the statistics change by adding this phony term, influenza-related death. And then the numbers, as you see, went from 500 to 36,000. It's a crime. It is a crime what's going on. And this is precisely what the Coronavirus Task Force people are doing. You're listening to Just Right Broadcasting Around the World and Online. And yes, it is a crime. A crime against humanity on a scale rarely seen. Turns out Solomon's essay could have more impact today than in 2014. Talk about a parallel strategy of manipulating statistics with what we're seeing today. You know, I can't possibly imagine Solomon having that article published in the National Post these days. And I couldn't possibly imagine having that discussion with Larry up at CHRW Radio today either. Pretty much every state-licensed media outlet in Canada is a propaganda machine for the government's COVID vaccine agendas. And with respect to Jimmy Kimmel's skit, did you notice the phrase, you people who won't listen? <laughs> That's exactly what came out of the mouth of the Canadian tire Karen. Also, just for the record, and contrary to Kimmel's message, every doctor in the world does not support universal vaccinations no more than most scientists support human-caused climate change. And insulting people who, quote, listened to some moron who read a forwarded email, end quote, belies the content of the email. Turns out that most of those kinds of emails have links to, you guessed it, doctors and other healthcare professionals who do not tow the official narrative on a given subject. People don't just make this stuff up. And as I become aware of more and more so-called anti-vaxxers, I have discovered that many of these people have suffered terribly from the effects of vaccines on a personal level, either in their family or with a condition they themselves contracted, or with the death or serious crippling of a child after receiving a vaccine. Now let me make it clear to you, as someone completely new to this whole issue of vaccines, that from what I've already seen, these negative reactions are nowhere near as rare as public officials ever want us to know. And given what we now know about the dishonesty of the whole pharmaceutical industry on those issues that are inescapably visible to us, there's no way I'll ever trust what they say about their products now or in the future, especially since they have the gall to call something a vaccine when it isn't. How much more dishonest can you get than that? Well, at last, here in Canada, some courageous individuals who are on the side of reason and rationality have begun to speak out. And guess what? They're all doctors. The Canadian Health Alliance this past Monday released a media statement that was immediately pulled down off YouTube. Small wonder. And therefore was brought to my attention, which in turn obligated me to do my bit to bring their message to the world. And though ostensibly focused on quote-unquote health concerns about COVID, it was really an attempt to address the irrational fear that our state apparatus insists on stirring up perpetually to use for its own purposes, such as Justin Trudeau's admitted cause of advancing the Great Reset. Dated March 8th, this is from the press release of Canadian doctors speaking out, and I quote, 
The first principle of medical and healthcare practice is to do no harm. Furthermore, evidence-based medical information should be the determining factor in all governmental healthcare rules, policies, and procedures. The current government measures regarding COVID are not supported by evidence-based medical research, and many of these measures are harmful to individuals, families, and society in general. In partnership with Canadian Health Alliance, based on the lack of medical evidence and harm being caused, we call on all levels of government to immediately stop promoting the following measures. Now get a load of this. Lockdowns and physical distancing. Promoting the use of masks. Hand washing and cleaning surfaces with toxic disinfectants. Quarantines of asymptomatic people and social isolation using RT-PCR testing on people, advocating inadequately tested gene-modifying COVID-19 vaccinations with insufficient human and animal trials, unnecessary COVID-19 policies at hospitals and other healthcare facilities, business closures or restrictions, restrictions on churches and places of worship, closures of public facilities including schools, playgrounds, parks, and recreational facilities, misrepresentation of the COVID situation in the media, the use of fear and other psychological coercion techniques. The Canadian Health Alliance is a nonprofit collaboration of medical doctors, nurses, chiropractors, naturopaths, pharmacists, and other healthcare practitioners from across Canada whose common goal is to protect the rights of our patients to access the highest quality healthcare available, continued freedom of choice, and autonomy through informed consent. Our goal is to halt the misuse of power by politicized public health experts currently being conveyed through damaging COVID-19 public health policies that are destroying Canadian society and the health of Canadians. End quote. In the video accompanying the press release that was banned on YouTube, there were eight distinct issues addressed by the following Canadian doctors. Stephen Malthouse, Patrick Phillips, Carolyn Turek, Nita Amani, Doral Kneifel, and Bill Code. So, just like Jimmy Kimmel suggested earlier, listen to the doctors. <laughs> now, you may recall that our show opener today came from the science fiction movie I Am Legend. And I have to confess that I ripped off our opening audio bites from Alex Jones' own InfoWars show of a few days back in which his attention was brought to that film because of its parallels with what is happening today. And we'll be hearing a bit of his analysis of that movie on the return side of our upcoming bumper. But first, on this side of the bumper, Canada is once again gaining a reputation abroad for being an exhibit of pure irrationality and stupidity. And I think this next commentary by Sidney Watson on her March 6 YouTube presentation pretty much speaks for itself and is yet another exhibit relating to the phenomenon we witnessed at the Canadian Tire Store. Every day we stray further from basic human intelligence. This is something that disturbs me greatly. So as with everything that I do, if I have to see something and feel sad and agitated, so do you. So I stumbled upon this story and a series of related disconcerting tweets in the last number of days that directly concerned the beer bug and children. Which for the purposes of this video not getting aggressively attacked by YouTube, we're going to call the sniffles for the remainder of this video. Common sense as a general rule has definitely taken its leave in 
many, many cases. And this particular case has really alarmed me. In late February, a region in Ontario called Peel, why is this stuff always in Canada? And why is it called Peel? Issued guidelines instructing parents to isolate their children, including young ones, in a separate room away from all family members for two weeks in the event that one of their classmates tested positive for the sniffles. Okay. That is enough planet for me today. The fact sheet that explains this also outlines that a child must eat in a separate room and use a separate bathroom if possible, because I don't know, science, I guess. Anyone exposed to the sniffles is directed to self-isolate at home away from others in the home as much as possible. That includes children. Do you reckon that you'd ever put your kids in solitary confinement if they were sick? And Twitter, being the gift that keeps on giving that it is, demonstrated to us that parents are very willing, perhaps too willing, to put their children in solitary confinement because daddy government said so. I try my best not to judge parents because I do know, or at least understand, that in some capacity, or maybe all of them, raising tiny raisin people is pretty difficult. But uh, in this case, I think these people need a psychological evaluation. <gasps> and so, the 14-day isolation begins. Nothing has broken my heart like the sound of my 10-year-old crying while I sit on the other side of the door and tell him 14 days will go quickly, hoping a PH calls so we can get some advice and answers. What fresh hell is this? I gotta say, this woman's avatar having a Karen haircut is just the greatest thing. Why do they always look like this, even when they're cartoons? <laughs> okay, that one was real. Turns out my heart can break more. Holding my seven-year-old while he cries because he misses his big brother and feels so alone is devastating. I cried, he cried, we all cried, but we are healthy and we are safe and we hang on to that. I mean, are you still considered healthy if you're brainwashed? Are you still safe if daddy government makes you put your kids in solitary confinement because they mismanaged the sniffles? Anyway, this woman and her experience was not a standalone. No, 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 because this is purgatory and you're not done suffering. And apparently neither are the kids. Exactly us two. I have my seven-year-old in isolation downstairs. He keeps messaging me on Facebook Messenger, mommy, I'm lonely. My five-year-old wrote in his journal entry today that he is sad because his brother isn't here. I set up a baby monitor to let eight-year-old ask for things. Five-year-old is using it to talk to eight-year-old. There's a lot to unpack here. On a serious note, I don't know what a seven-year-old is doing with a Facebook in the first place. I was sick at the end of November and had to isolate from my six, four, and two-year-old. Hearing my baby cry for me at night was devastating. Now, because this is stupid and children should not be left alone because, I don't know, they can't do basic human activities like feed themselves or regulate their emotions, the region in question walked back their guidelines saying that, yes, you should still isolate your child, but use common sense. Fam, it's 2021. We're currently living in a time where people say things like, wum Womixen? Mm. And ban Dr. Seuss books for being racist. I'm pretty sure that common sense is in short supply. For children, we know that a caregiver may need to, I wait, may? What is, no, they, children need people around, what is happening right now? Oh my God. A caregiver may need to isolate with them to help with daily living, such as bathing, feeding, clothing, and emotional support. Mm. 
You don't say. The mayor of the area also apologized, saying that the original guidelines were a mistake and need to be fixed. And I also saw one comment from a parent saying that schools are still informing parents that they have to isolate their children alone if they can't have a caregiver around. And I just, I don't even know what to say. Um, I'm just, I am very confused. The psychological, emotional, mental effects of all of this, not just on adults, but on children as well, are going to be enormous. Not only now, but later down the line as well. I mean, we need only look at examples from even the last few weeks of children taking their own lives because they feel isolated and cut off from the world. In the original article about this issue, experts in virology and psychology said that isolating your kids away from everyone else is cruel punishment. Doesn't seem practically possible and is highly likely to cause harm to children who would already be experiencing considerable distress about having to remain home. There's also skepticism and these people also said that there's just no science behind this. One infectious disease expert at Hamilton Health Science added that this is shocking because this is being proposed for children who are not in any way sick. So obviously my biggest concern with stories and stories like this is that it's just effectively child abuse. And I don't think that parents are thinking through what they're doing. They're just answering to the gospel of daddy government, even to the detriment of their own children. And need I remind everyone that solitary confinement is literally used as a method of torture. Personally, torture for me is having to read these kind of stories in the first place. I think fear makes people stupid. Government doesn't know best. I'm sorry, and I'm getting really tired of people acting like they do. We don't trust government to do basically anything else, we're constantly criticizing them for their response to basically every social situation on the planet, and yet when it comes to this, this is when people finally start listening to them? This is, this is what you pick to listen to? Frankly, it is bizarre to me that the government is effectively promoting people emotionally abusing their kids, and parents are following through with that. A lot of listeners, a lot of friends, a lot of people I work with have said, Alex, why haven't you drawn parallels between the hit movie with Will Smith in 2007, I Am Legend, and what's happening with the COVID-19 supposed vaccine? And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot that movie. It was a really good movie. And I went back and read the plot. And then last night I went back and watched the film again, and it completely blew me away. You have this high tech company, this big tech company, that comes out with a cure for cancer where they use a measles virus to deliver a re-engineering system into human DNA so you can't get cancer. And then 90% of the public dies because it creates a virus factory inside the cells. 9% become these killer psycho vampires, zombies, and 1% become immune. Six billion people on earth when the infection hit. KV had a 90% kill rate, that's 5.4 billion people dead, crashed and bled out dead. Less than 1% immunity. It left 12 million healthy people like you, me and Ethan. The other 588 million turned into your dark seekers and then they got hungry and they killed and fed on everybody. 
And I'm like, oh my God, I've interviewed all these scientists, all these medical doctors, all these people, and they talk about how mRNA vaccines are a gene therapy, not approved by the FDA, that were first developed to try to go in and cure cancer. But because they didn't know the unintended consequences, because they didn't have long-term animal or human studies, they didn't do it. But it turns out they actually have been doing it in China and other areas, and that it causes all sorts of weird mutations and cancer later in the lab rats, in the pigs, in the goats, in the other animals they tested on. And of course, Communist China has also been doing a lot of secret human testing as well on the Uyghurs and others. And so I began to read again the plot for the film and again watch the film and it totally blew me away because even the writers of Hollywood science fiction talked to scientists, talked to genetic engineers, and they said, what is the most feasible scenario for something to kill a bunch of people or to cause horrible, horrible mutations? And they said, it's basically this gene editing. Because they say, oh, mRNA doesn't change your DNA. It just orders the cell to change the DNA. Same thing. But it gets crazier. I interviewed Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, respected medical doctor. She spent a whole hour on the show showing the medical literature. The Johnson's and Johnson vaccine is beyond mRNA. It takes a cold virus with the spike protein of COVID-19 and delivers it through the cell membrane into the mitochondria and then replicates the supposed protein they want to counter it. And the head of the EU uh, Advisory Commission, Wolfgang Wudarg and others have come out, including the former chief scientist at Pfizer and said, this is mass human experimentation. This is incredibly dangerous. It's gonna cause massive autoimmune responses. It's gonna cause not just people to be allergic, it's gonna cause the body to attack its own organs. And very early on, it is killing a lot of people. And what we've discovered is after people get the COVID vaccine, they're saying, oh, they got the COVID vaccine, but they still died of COVID. They're dying and they're claiming that it was COVID. So this thing is a big jigsaw puzzle, but what we know is this, they couldn't ever get any governments to approve this. So they used the hysteria in China, where this stuff was developed, to now have it approved in the EU, the UK, the US, and Australia, and a few other countries. But India, they're very scientific and have studied it. Uh, South Africa, again, very scientific. Switzerland, a bunch of countries have banned different mRNA vaccines because they're not vaccines. They're, they're gene therapy or genetic engineering, and it's causing massive cytokine storms, like you're stung by 100 bees. Or it's causing the body to shut down and attack its own organs. Uh, or it's just causing people to have horrible, horrible side effects and go through convulsions or become paralyzed, you name it. And this is all confirmed. It was the famous, famous baseball player who, after taking the second shot, died, Hank Aaron. And the mainstream media lied and said, oh, the coroner said he didn't die of the shot. But then his family talked to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. They said, no, he died after the second shot and he never had an autopsy. So it goes on and on and on. Now the famous commentator and comedian, Ben Stein, went out and got the Moderna mRNA vaccine and he said, it's a killer. I mean, it didn't kill me and it's not gonna kill you, but I almost died. Here's a clip of what he had to say. A word of warning to you, my fellow Americans, or whatever you are. I had the COVID booster, the Moderna, about uh, four or five days ago, and I am still feeling wild side effects from it. Like I had the worst flu in the world, extreme shortness of breath, a dizziness, fatigue, extremely irrational thinking. Uh, it has just been devastating. I'm glad I got it. 
sort of glad. I, I don't know, a little bit glad and also not quite so glad. Uh, but it has just got to be told to the people, us people, we people, us people, that this booster is a killer. I mean, it's not going to kill you, literally, but it is very, very strong. Beware. Again, why are the parallels in I Am Legend 2007 so close to what's currently happening? Because Hollywood goes out to top scientists and gets their help writing these scripts. Now, that was really an interesting observation made by Alex Jones about those Hollywood science fiction productions that at least depend on some kind of sound scientific basis on which to project a fictional narrative. I myself have more than once noticed how when I choose other entertainment audio bites from various movies and shows that touch upon these issues, how so many of them are from dystopian science fictions and futuristic horror scenarios or, you know, end-of-the-world dramas. Remarkable, the parallels. And what was truly amazing about Ben Stein's reaction to his COVID shot was the fact that the symptoms he suffered far exceeded the worst of most people's symptoms ever suffered from the COVID flu virus. And yes, had he had one or two comorbidities, he may very well have died. It's not the first time I've observed people reacting that way. Yet another symptom of the psychosis. Now, with our time just about running out, I thought that I should give the final word to Dr. Stephen Malthouse of the Canadian Health Alliance, speaking to the latest and upcoming state campaign of COVID terrorism and fear-mongering. Many of us have heard about something that is designed to scare the living daylights out of you. It's something we're hearing 24-7 bump through your television set. And that's the possibility of dangerous variants. Now, here's something that will surprise you. One slight variant was artificially created after a lot of hard work in a mouse study. The so-called variants had never been found in humans. This was followed by some papers with mathematical modeling and coding, not real life observation. This was simply guesswork about spread and severity, not real research with human beings. That is the sole foundation of all you're hearing about on the TV. Viruses naturally change over time and new strains emerge. Since a virus cannot live alone, but depends upon human cells to live, it makes evolutionary sense that it will become less dangerous, not more so over time. If it becomes more easily spread, but less likely to make you really sick, then that is a good natural progression towards herd immunity. The COVID virus is no different. Over all the time we have studied viruses, that is what they've always done. Adapt to humans as humans adapt to them. We can all relax, since viruses always become less likely to cause harm as time goes on. And remember, the real virus is fear. It stops a person from thinking clearly. Now is the time to turn off your TV set and learn how to do some reasoning for yourself. It doesn't take a doctor or even a rocket scientist to figure it out. Just look out your own front door and see what is really happening. The evidence is clear. You do not need to be afraid of a little COVID virus. And the evidence is also clear that you won't get any clear evidence from the muddied and corrupt mainstream corporate media. But you can always count on getting more clear evidence, irrespective of the topic discussed, by joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. Hey, we're going to start with you, Tina. Please pick a topic. 
I dream of Jeannie with the light brown inheritance. $150 question. The birth of modern genetics began when Gregor Mendel demonstrated the inheritance patterns of what type of plant? Paul. Peas. Peas it is. Very good. Well done, Paul. What term refers to the process whereby one DNA form changes to another DNA form? Recombinant. No. Sorry. <laughs> Mutation. Oh, that sound means it's time to circumcise baby well, bears! Well, wait a minute. Nancy, I work for the Walt Disney Corporation, so I get circumcised every pay day. <laughs> has come by carrier pigeon into our nursery that the judges have decided to accept Paul's answer of recombinant for the DNA question. Great. And therefore, you are now going on, and we have to regretfully say goodbye to you, Tina. Oh, we shall miss you, Tina. You get your money.